Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. My fabulous co-host, the nonprofit ninja, Natalie Jablonski, is here. That's right. Specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Marjorie. What are you up to? Well, you know, I've been thinking about something that I think a lot of executive directors think about. Chocolate? No. Well, I mean, you're on the right track. Giraffes? N- totally off track. Oh, no. Yeah. Maybe just me. I, I think of giraffes eating chocolate, but yeah. then that would probably be bad for them. Yeah, you should probably like maybe focus on your work more. Sorry. <laughs> you're probably right. Well, okay. Get me so, back in focus. What have you been thinking so about? So one of the things I think about a lot is board diversity. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I don't know if you saw, but a couple of months ago, BoardSource put out um, their leading with intention or with intent uh, report. Yes. And a big piece of that this year was around board diversity and the fact that a lot of nonprofits are not happy with the diversity on their board. And I think that that goes through, you know, not just racial, but also uh, disability and gender and LGBT and just all different kinds of diversity. Right. But and more and more race. funders are looking at that as well. Exactly. So it's not just what do we want, but also being responsible citizens to the community and the clients or organizations or communities that we serve is a representative of those areas. Exactly. And in the last couple of years, board diversity has actually gotten worse. Oh. So even though we're, we, we say we're trying, it's not happening. So to give us some ideas on how to get better at this and kind of talk through some of these issues, we brought back a friend of the show. She's been on before, uh, Miranda Richardson from MWR Consulting. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. See, it just goes to show all of our listeners. So see, we have guests and they do like it and they do come back. We don't (laughs) just scare them all away, right? Yes. In fact, you're back by popular demand. Our audience loved you last time you were here. Oh, wow. Good to hear. Yeah. Thank you. So, Miranda, remind us what you do and uh, a little bit about how you got into the nonprofit world. Sure. So, I am principal and founder of MWR Consulting. MWR Consulting focuses on advancing racial equity by being intentional um, with working with both communities and organizations that are least served, and doing that by um, helping to provide effective ways to build capacity, community engagement and mobilization, transformative coaching, and acting as a conduit between community sorry communities and systems. Excellent. Cool. So how did you find your way to that topic? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So prior to consulting, I was in philanthropy, did that for uh, approximately five months, um, very passionate about health, um, black communities and communities of color. And so being in philanthropy, um, just seeing firsthand um, how resources are dispersed and where they're not dispersed uh, really forced me to look at myself and how I show up and my values. And so thinking about ways to be intentional and look at ways to build assets. And it's easy to approach things from a lack thereof standpoint, but really thinking about how to approach it from ways to build assets. So that's how I landed with MWR Consulting and being intentional and explicit in that space around advancing racial equity. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, it seems to me that there's been a big push within the nonprofit sector to increase this diversity, not just within our volunteer and our staff, but also, as you mentioned, into boards. And I'm just kind of curious, as your thoughts, just to kick all this off, why do you think it's especially important in leadership of nonprofits to have that uh, representative of diversity with regards to our board of directors? Mm -hmm. Um, My personal opinion, um, I think it's important um, because it's important that 
the leadership reflects the consumers that are being served. I think it's important that everyone has a voice and a place in the process. Um, diversity brings an opportunity to um, embrace change, um, various perspectives, lived experiences, um, creating a culture that allows for that is really important. So thinking about those strategies and things of that nature that come into play when you have a diverse group of people around the table strategizing, um, you can begin to see the difference in the work. I think that's really important because a lot of our listeners are on a board of directors of nonprofits. And this is one of those shows that I think will really resonate with them as well, because not only are they re responsible for governance of that nonprofit, but also recruitment and sharing that information with board members and potential new board members. And uh, sometimes you get that commonality of groupthink if you don't yes. have that diversity and, and peace. And although you could look that everything's, look, everything's going well, why do we need to shake things up? Well, maybe the reason we need to shake things up is because things aren't going as well as you realize because you're not looking at it from different angles. So, yeah, excellent. Well put. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, I'm thinking about um, most of the boards that I know, and, and there's a lot of a lot of all-white organizations uh, or leadership of organizations, a lot of them that are mostly male. What can an organization that has diversified its, its, uh, its assets and its board members to, what can they do that, you know, that maybe all-white guy board can't do? Mm-hmm. Well, first, I think that a board that is made up of the same demographics, gender, or whatnot, is very homogeneous. So the perspectives are very, or can be very one-sided. And I think with diversity, it allows for various perspectives and lived experiences. Also, I think, too, um, that barrier that comes with a very homogeneous lens is, mm -hmm. can be stagnant. So it kind of prevents organizations from being able to be innovative and really think about things from different perspectives. And so the diversity piece is really important in terms of helping to shape the organization and where, and where they're trying to go. So then do you feel like you run the same risk, whether or not you have a group of board members that are all, let's say, 21 to 35, and that's all that you have? Is that the same type of risk as you do if you have a group that is different ages, but they're all one gender or they're all one uh, ethnicity? Um, I think you can run that risk. Um, however, like the example you gave, like the 21 to 35, although society may say, oh, those are the young people, the millennials, I do think that there is some value in terms of the perspective that they can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. I mean, when you have one specific group that's identified around the table, more than likely the ideas, the strategies, the new development will be reflective of who's around the table. And I think that, um, to your point, that diversity is good okay. in terms of age, gender, ethnicity, and so forth. So we need to be looking at the, the whole picture, not just one particular element. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So I think, um, well, I think one of the things that the, the board source uh, document said was that divorce, diversity on boards, especially uh, racial diversity, has actually dropped across the country over the past several years. At the same time, EDs are saying that they want to engage more people of color, more people with disabilities, more LGBT people in their mission. Um, why do you think progress isn't being made on this? It's not intentional. Mm -hmm. And so just like fundraising is intentional, like, you know, you have to have a goal in mind. You have to raise these funds to keep the doors open. What would it look like to be intentional about diversity on the board and have a plan, um, strategies in place to make that happen? Um, also, I think that it's important that 
leadership, whether that's the board or the CEO, you step outside of your comfort zone, step outside of your networks. Um, but I really think that it does come down to making this intentional, having a plan, um, strategies for recruitment, um, policies that are reflective to make sure that you have in place um, the right framework so that you're able to recruit and engage um, members of diverse backgrounds because their voice is just as important. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, a, that's always a struggle. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I always worry, too, that we get we have good intentions as leaders. You know, mm -hmm. we, we want to be able to do good things, but I also want to raise a million dollars and I uh, want to go on vacation and all that, you know, <laughs> until you put your vacation plans in and say, I'm going, or until you put a fundraising plan in and say, I'm going, the action doesn't take place. And so that's what I hear you saying. It's there's, there's not a lot of uh, thoughtful planning that's going around it, which means that the action's not following through. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's definitely important to be intentional. And even if that is from the standpoint of, your board has 12, is well, slated for 12 people and you have nine. Well, what would it, what would it look like to be intentional about cre creating um, opportunities for three members of diverse backgrounds to fill those slots? So, mm -hmm. like, actually being intentional. And I think mm -hmm. that most nonprofits do a great job with fundraising because they have a plan, they get people rallied around it, and they get the support they need to raise those dollars. Mm -hmm. But what would it look like to create a plan and be intentional about recruitment for diversity and making it a priority for the organization. So let's dig a little deeper on that. Sure. That's a great point. So those of us, our board members who are listening and they're saying, okay, this is my responsibility as a board member. Typically, a lot of our next board members come from people who current board members already know. Uh, yes. So they're kind of recruiting who they know and, and people who are in their circles. And if you have similar circles of influence on the board already and you're trying to break out of that, and I'm saying there is a board member going, so how do I how do I do that? What are some tips that we could perhaps give those board members to reach outside of their comfort zone circle to be able to attract those areas of uh, diversity that they're needing to be able to really engage their clientele? Um, so there are a lot of spaces and groups that exist. And so that will require leadership to step outside of their comfort zone or their normal networks. Um, I think a lot of times people go to the same people because that's who's, that's who's in their network. And mm -hmm. so what would it look like to not wait for people to come to you, mm -hmm. but to be in partnership already with other organizations, other institutions, so that you have access and relationships with these individuals that could potentially serve on your board and add diversity to your board staffing or whatnot. Um, I think that um, a lot of times there's not a one-size-fit-all for this. I mm -hmm. just think that people have to be okay with stepping outside of their comfort zone. And as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of organizations, spaces that exist for individuals to tap into, um, individuals who come from diverse backgrounds, but they're often not tapped into for whatever reason. And what would it look like to be intentional to say, hey, we should have a partnership with these organizations that already exist. Um, mm -hmm. There are individuals who are interested in serving, may have been impacted by our services, may have some type of connection. So what can we do to make sure that we have a partnership in place so that we have the right people around the table? I love that idea of, of getting in there early before you have the the, the, the open board spot, uh, because I do see a, a lot of organizations just assuming, well, I can go to one of these meetings and I can find one person and that person can just come out to my board. And, mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's and how we check mark. I fixed it. Right? Check mark. I fixed it and probably don't engage the board member mm -hmm. in the right way. And then it all falls to pieces. And then, you know, you get that assumption that, oh, well, people from this group, you know, aren't good board members. Which, right. Um, is always a big challenge. And I can totally see that, that comfort zone, you know, people are uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. 
Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but it true, you know, it is. Mm-hmm. And so until people can get learned to what it's like to be uncomfortable and get comfortable with that, that's a lot of comfortable as I know in one sentence, <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't think we're, this is going to change. I, mm-hmm. I, and that's, a, that's a big step. People like their comfort zone. They like things that they know that they can relate to. Um, and, uh, when they start to get a little uncomfortable, t- people tend to, to pull back, especially if it's not something that, uh, they have a lot of vested interest in. And so you have to have board members that are really committed, uh, to this plan and to making that difference and to having that representation. And so that when it does get uncomfortable, cause it may, because yes. they're getting outside that circle, Absolutely. then they can push through that to be able to, to learn to, to roll with that and to see what that's like. I, I think the first step too, is just to admit that you're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. uh, and saying, okay, so what does that look like? And have some really engaging conversations, uh, so that it, once it's out there, it's not like I'm hiding anything, you know, does that right. make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think too, with the recruitment process, it's beyond recruitment. So you can recruit people, but how do you engage and people Absolutely. keep people committed? Because mm-hmm. people may show up in the space and may feel uncomfortable. Yes. They may not feel like they have a role or a voice. And so thinking beyond commitment, but to think more in terms of they're here, but how do we effectively engage and retain so that the focus is on the people, the board to do this job in terms of being able to positively impact the consumers that are being served. So I think one of the so one of the things I hear a lot from executive directors is, you know, that they they just can't find enough people of color that, you know, have enough money or access to money to be on their board. And then I've also heard from I've heard in other places, I don't know these articles or consultants, I can't remember, to be honest with you, who have just said, well, you know, boards have to, to lower their expectation and then just bring people in that have those other skills that you need. Um yeah, I've, seen there's an arg- I've heard arguments on both sides. Yeah. So do, so, do are we... you looking for money or, or, and can't, can we have both? <laughs> right. And, and, and my, my response to all that is really that's, you don't have, we're not lowering expectations for something mm-hmm. because we feel like something else is more important. Surely they're out there. You just have to, you have to be able to engage in the right networks, right? Yeah, that, and you have to be flexible. I think you can mm-hmm. have both. I think you can have um, individuals who can give financially, but then also that time and talent piece. I think mm-hmm. that also we have to be honest about the racial wealth wealth gap in mm-hmm. terms of what that looks like when you when it shows up. And right. so, if your financial commitment is ten thousand um, dollars, when you, you you spread that across, that will impact others in a different way than it will others. And so, what would it look like to have that option to be able to give financially, mm-hmm. but then also to be able to give your time and talent? And I think that oftentimes people underestimate the value of time and talent because sometimes it often equates to more than that financial gift of a thousand dollars. And so how do you explore a process for people to be able to give financially and or their time and their talent? Well, I think we always think of the, the time talent treasure at the treasure mm-hmm. meeting that you're writing a check. Mm-hmm. There's so much more you can use with time and talent yes. that can get you that treasure, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. And, you know, I've known some great board members who uh, are super time, super talented, no problem. But giving the, their financial treasure is just not something that's an option to them right now for whatever that roadblock mm-hmm. or reasoning is. But there's other things that they've done. I know people that went out and wrote grants on behalf of the organization in coordination with the executive director and said, I found this grant. I know I can help you write it and have helped put that together. I know people who've opened doors and solicited for funds from friends, family, neighbors, other businesses. I knew uh, one board member who uh, had a yard sale and Mm -hmm. got their friends and family to donate to it. And they took the proceeds of the yard sale and 
they donated all. So I mean, mm -hmm. working with your executive director to say, so the financial portion may be a barrier for me, but it doesn't have to be. And I've got right. some ideas. Again, having those conversations that may seem uncomfortable, but can really be engaging and enlightening. Um, doesn't mean you have to lower your quote unquote standard for being a good quality board member. No one wants to feel like you're lowering the bar to let them in. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just ridiculous of a mm -hmm. concept. So how do you instead rise up together to be able to meet those challenges in a unique and creative way? And I think we've just gotten our blinders on. And sometimes in the role of executive directors, we have to run so fast that we just, mm -hmm. this is the only way we know how to do it. But when you stop and pause and have great engaging conversations, you can get around a lot of that. Right. And I think that flexibility piece is important as well, because to your point, those are great examples of how someone can give back, whether they have the money or not, but it's still helping to advance the mission of the organization, which is ultimately the end goal. Absolutely. So. Mm -hmm. I will take a board member tenfold that will make efforts to be able to help meet that financial impact with me and say, let's figure this out together. Here's some ideas I've got. Let's put together this small little event, or I'd like to have a group of my friends over for a Tupperware party and a portion of that proceeds will go back, whatever that might be. And seeing that they're trying to do their piece, then to have a board member who is giving me everything else. And I'm like, when it comes to writing the check, the treasure part, it's like uh, Bueller, you know, Bueller. <laughs> it, it's, I, I don't understand that at all. And let's just talk. Let's figure out how that works because bringing that to the table, that expertise that you're bringing and as well as those other areas are crucial for the success of the organization. Mm -hmm. So yes, my two thought, my two cents for what they're worth today in the nonprofit ninja world. <laughs> <laughs> so what should we tell those EDs out there that are in a position where they want to increase diversity and they've, you know, they're trying some things, but the rest of their board is like, no, nah, we're just going to keep bringing on our friends. We know those people. Yeah, so how do we, how do we start getting our boards to, to realize how important this is? Hmm. You can you can lead a horse to water. Yeah. Dot dot dot. Right. <laughs> I think one of them. One of the one of the key answers I think here is also who who are your funding sources, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter of doing the right thing, but one of the things we have to do is answer the call of what our funders are requiring. Whether it's a, a public foundation like a like United Way or a community foundation that's saying we're requiring this of you, right? Right. Um, or if you're looking at, well, we want to go after this grant and what's that composition look like? So sometimes if you can't get through the logic way, I hit them where it hurts, <laughs> <laughs> through the dollar way, right? So in order to be able to do this, think about it. Whenever we used to have uh, nonprofits uh, that would not have 100% board giving, and then all of a sudden it became a standard. All board members must give, right? It's a standard piece. There were lots of creative executive directors out mm -hmm. there who found ways for their board to make sure they had 100% board <laughs> giving, right? So why would this not be any different? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think that that's a great suggestion, but at the same time, it's a thin line because then people start checking boxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then that recruitment piece, oh, we've recruited, we have a diverse board, we have three people that we consider to be diverse, diverse and so now we are in a better spot. But then the engagement piece of right. it, it goes is, back to what you said. And being able to retain them would probably present some challenges. I do think that for... Um, leadership in terms of executive directors or CEOs who are having challenges with their board in terms of moving in the direction of increasing diversity. I mean, one thing about it, it creates stagnant um, motion in terms of being able to move forward, to think outside the box. Again, very homogeneous. Yes. And 
the board should be accountable. Um, your board should be reflective of the com consumers that you serve. And right. so that's the first question. Who's around the table? Who are we serving? And also with that, um, making it a priority um, in terms of this is what we should be doing. And sometimes that may require some education, some training for the board to uh, participate in to understand why this is important because sometimes there's just a disconnect. And so it's important that the board is aware and that there are resources to help them move down that path of this is why diversity is important and this is why we should move in this direction. Um, again, being intentional about the recruitment process. The example I gave earlier, you have slots that are open. What would it look like to be intentional to fill those slots with individuals who would represent diversity on your board? So I don't want to give the board a pass. I mm -hmm. want them to move forward with diversity. I think it's important. They should feel like it's important and they should also be accountable. And to your example, there's, there's a piece of accountability that um, board members should have to the funders, to their consumers, to their donors, um, and to the organization as a whole. One of the questions that's kind of popped into my head is when you're talking about... I heard or, a pop. I was I wondering know. what that was. <laughs> that was out of my head. Um, there it is. <laughs> um, when you're talking about an organization that, let's say, maybe serves a homeless population or, um, you know, let's, let's say disability population or, or something like that that's, you know, where your clients are, um, you know, maybe super marginalized... Um, what should, what should that look like for for what the board looks like? Should should the board include a person with a disability or many people with disability or somebody who's homeless or how does how does that work in a for like board composition purposes? Yeah, mm -hmm. kind of thinking out loud at that one point. <laughs> well, my personal opinion, I think that consumers should be on the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're the ones who are utilizing the services. They have the firsthand lived experiences, and their voice will add a lot of value around the table. Um, I know a lot of organizations have programs, so people, for lack of better words, graduate from a program, and then those graduates are considered um, mentors or whatnot, and those are perfect um, individuals oh, yeah. to have mm -hmm. around the table. Um, sometimes family members are great because they are the primary caregivers, and they see this firsthand with their loved ones. So I'm an advocate for the consumers being on the board, mm -hmm. just, make, so, just to make sure that they have a voice in this process and that they're their um, input is included as well. I, I'm curious now. Now I hear a pop. Uh, <laughs> there's mine. So I've seen some movement towards having the client or the consumer uh, groups of them serve in like an advisory council capacity and then maybe the chairman of that advisory council serve on the board because what I keep hearing from EDs is I only have X amount of positions on the board. So those are very valuable positions and I'd like to have more clients on so we can get more ideas, but we don't have necessarily enough time to be able to engage the board sometimes on some of these bigger issues that I'd like to talk to my consumers about. So they've started creating these advisory councils so they can really engage in some of those great topics, but then they'll have one member, usually a token person, then they represent that group, in quotes, if you will, on the board for those, quote, valuable positions. Mm -hmm. going the right direction, maybe not so much, their hearts are in the right place, but maybe we should switch it around. What, is, what do you think? Because I've seen this trend, Yes, and I'm not sure if it, we're going down the right road. So I've, I've seen and I've heard of advisory committees or advisory boards, and for the most part, in my opinion, 
they are not done appropriately. Um, it's basically to say that we have this advisory board. Oh, yes, we have consumers. Lip service. Lip service, checking the box. Oh, yes, we have consumers who are involved. They meet monthly or they meet quarterly, but they're not really the decision makers. Their voice really is does not equate to the CEO of this organization who's on the board. And when they say things like, oh, well, we only have so many slots and these slots are important. Well, how important are your consumers? And so what message, are you, <laughs> I like it. what message are you sending to your consumers when you say, well, the CEO is more important than you or mm -hmm. this doctor is more important than you. And so you have to find that balance. Not to say that advisory committees are all bad and not doing a good job. I'm not saying that, but I've seen where they slippery are. Slippery slope. Be careful. Yes. Huh? Slippery slope. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I, I could see that because I think the we all start off with good intentions, but we know what that road and go where that road leads, right? <laughs> to good intention of good intentions. Yes. Um, and I and I'm starting to hear more and more of that. With when I'm hearing board reporting and uh, nonprofits getting together, and they're like, "Oh, well, we have an advisory council of this particular group of clients, and they meet four times a year, mm -hmm. and then we have the chairman of that or someone who reports out to the. They might not be on the board. They may just report to the board, but not have a voting say in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so you now you've even taken them down even a bigger notch. And when I ask, well, how are you engaging this? What's the purpose of this advisory you know, group? Oh, well, that way we can run these things by them and they can help us understand how to improve our programs. I'm like, well, that's, that's what a board's supposed to be doing as well. So why would <laughs> right. we just make them board? Oh, we can't, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just, I'm not sure if, if the trend is uh, something that we want to all necessarily jump on the bandwagon for. Cause mm -hmm. I worry that some of our listeners might be like, oh, that's a great idea when they hear it. Mm -hmm. and right. Instead of just doing good things, they end up checking a box and mm -hmm. actually minimalizing the voice of the people that we want to hear the most. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I would just caution, caution people that it's the optics versus reality. And so what does it look like and feel like for the consumers versus what you're trying to um, display or show to your consumers? And so it usually is it's not the same. And so to your point, it may be um, diminishing their role as a consumer and their voice in the process. That makes perfect sense to me. So you talk a lot about engaging, right? So engaging our board members, not just getting them on the board because we don't want to lose that. So what are some tips that perhaps um, board presidents who are listening, um, a board development team members that are listening could do once we have that precious board member, that unicorn, right, that mm -hmm. we've been looking for uh, to make sure that we're engaging them appropriately. And especially if it's maybe something new and they're un it's an uncomfortable thing for the board, they haven't had this type of experience and no one really knows what first step we make. You know, it's like a girl boy dance. Boys are on one side, <laughs> girls on the other. And someone eventually has to ask the first person to dance. So uh, how do we dance with this? What are some things we can do to engage those new members? Well, I think first, um, recognizing the talents that everybody brings to the table. And with that, I think that people show up with their skills, their talents to bring to the organization to help advance the mission of the organization. Um, also, I think that the leadership has to be at the forefront of this. So the leadership is saying, we're going to do this, and they're driving the bus. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important that everybody owns it. And so what would it look like for everybody around the table to own the work of the organization, to be intentional and explicit about diversity and why it's important, and helping to create opportunities for everyone and so that it levels the playing field and the expectations across the board for the entire board in terms of how we engage and retain new members um, around diversity and just new members in general. 
Those are good tips. I think it's always the most difficult thing for some of our board members to, to figure out. So do you think that these findings that, that BoardSource kind of put out and, you know, what we've been talking to today, do you think that this is something that uh, we're actually going to go ahead and we're going to go see a difference in this around the time the next board source thing comes out in about five years? Or do you think that it's, we're going to need to keep hammering this at boards for, for years to come? If That's you've got a crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, if I had a crystal ball. Oh, our ball. magic eight ball. I didn't <laughs> bring it. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think the first, so when I read the report, and actually I saw a couple of blogs that were linked to the report mm -hmm. and like comments. And I, I also felt like this is sad. Like this mm -hmm, is ridiculous mm -hmm. that the numbers are trending in that direction. Mm -hmm. I think that the first step is that people have to acknowledge that we want to do something about this and this and that it will not be status quo. So they have to own the problem. Own the problem. Thank you. Yes. Own the problem. And I don't know that people are there yet. Not mm -hmm. to say they are or they are not. Um, but I think it's important that first people own the problem and then work towards fixing it. Um, I think that a lot of times, like the this report, it gives great information, data, some solutions, things to consider. But it's almost some steps ahead of people because they haven't owned a problem. So when you talk about um, leaders and boards who are still 100% white male and they're serving consumers who are 50% from different racial and ethnic backgrounds and they don't see that that's a problem, that right there is very telling. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the first step is to own that there is a problem um, that exists. Do I think that we can move in a direction that where diversity is important, that people prioritize it and we're working to increase it? I do think we can. Um, I just think that we have to be accountable. And going back to what I said earlier, accountable to our consumers, um, to our donors, to our organization, because I think that's just as important and being intentional about it. I do think it'll take some time, though, just because I think that owning a piece is kind of missing. And I think that's the first step. And I think it's important for us as nonprofits to remember little steps are big steps. Yes. And we should not try to put pressure on ourselves or our peers to say, okay, so in a year we're going to have a 50%, you know, yeah. because once we fail, then it's like, well, it's impossible. We can't do it. And we mm -hmm. tend to give up. I didn't, you know, we need to focus on the low hanging fruit, if you will. And so the first apple, that first, that first person, that first step, having the conversation may be the first step Absolutely. on your, on your board. And, uh, that does not mean a person has joined the board, just having the conversation again, getting mm -hmm. back to how do we become comfortable talking about what makes us uncomfortable. And if your board diversity is very limited, that can be for some people, a very uncomfortable conversation. So making it, put it on the agenda, make it a conversation that we talk about so that a plan could be discussed and then making that first step and then saying, so if we were able to recruit someone, what does that look like and how would we make sure that we're engaging them and uh, we are all on the same team. And so those conversations, that could be just that first step in the right direction. And I, I think that people don't give themselves enough credit for taking those little steps. Yes, I agree. Celebrate all the wins, yes. small and big. And also look at other opportunities to maybe talk to other boards who have may have recently went through some diversity recruitment plans and people love to share information. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way, especially to, success stories. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> and so it's a way to talk to other organizations to see what they did. I mean, 
as I said earlier, it's not a one size fit all, but at least it's some strategies and it gets the conversation going. What does it look like to have trainings, bring in speakers to talk about these different things and really think about the mission of the organization because that should be at the core. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that that is also a priority for the organization in terms of moving forward with diversity. I agree. It's celebrating is something we've talked about on the show that nonprofits we, we stink at it. Like mm-hmm. we go, yay, look how great we did. Okay. Now next thing we're going to do, that's <laughs> yes. about what we do. Right. Yes. Uh, and if we don't uh, celebrate those small steps, especially with a volunteer driven board, mm-hmm. if we don't give ourselves a recognition that, Hey, great job having this conversation. This was huge. Then th- it feels like, well, we haven't done anything and therefore we give up. Um, you know, it's no different than starting a new diet. The first time you eat Oreo cookies at 3 a.m., you're like, ah, forget it. It's over. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is you say, okay, so I ate Oreo cookies. It didn't work out so great, but now I'm going to get back on track, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the same with this. Uh, we're going to get distracted by other things that happen in these conversations, but we need to make sure that we get ourselves on track. And I think it's a reason, way that, Marjorie, we're going to see that change, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, we've got to... Got to keep working. Got to mm-hmm. keep working. And we all have to do it together. This is yeah. not a one-person issue. This is Absolutely. not a one-gender mm-hmm. issue. And this is not a one-race issue. This mm-hmm. is a issue that we all have as nonprofits to be able to help each other and mm-hmm. to help our clients. Because at the end, that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Agreed. That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. Miranda, if uh, our listeners want to get in touch with you, maybe talk about this a little bit more. Maybe talk Take a little bit step, about right? <laughs> some of the consulting that you do. How should we get in touch with you? Sure. Um, the bad signal, right? Yes, <laughs> the bad line. Um, they can get in touch with me by email, um, and my email is Miranda, M-A-R-A-N-D-A, at M-W-R, M for Miranda, W Witherspoon, R for Richardson, consultingservices.com. So Miranda at M-W-R, consultingservices.com. Fantastic. And we'll get that in our show notes as well Mm -hmm. as this article that we keep talking about so Mm -hmm. that if you uh, have downloaded the podcast and uh, you've already subscribed and you're like, what is this article they keep referencing? We'll make sure we'll grab that and put that on our show notes so you have it available and maybe drop it on our Facebook page. Absolutely. One of us is really good at that. I'm going to give you a guess. It's not the nonprofit (laughs) ninja, by the way. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for digging through some of this with us today, Miranda. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoy myself. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.